remember my first time preparing for a cross-cultural study experience. And a part of that experience was preparing us for some of the uh, differences in cultures regarding time. Now, this study opportunity was taking me down to the country of Belize, and I just remember very vividly the professor saying, now you need to understand people work and function on a very different uh, perspective or understanding of time. And this professor went on to explain to us, now normally here in North American Western thought, if you are early, you're on time. And if you're on time, you can actually be creating anxiety in people. And if you are late, you can encounter hostility when you walk into the room. So be very careful and mindful of people's different experiences of time. And he said, in, in uh, where we're gonna go, it's very different. If you're early, it's surprising. If you're on time, it's fine. If you're within a half an hour to an hour, it's okay. It's all good. Everybody's pretty chill about those things. Have you ever found yourself becoming a little anxious? Maybe the one becoming a little hostile? Have you ever found yourself the one where you're like, I am so late for this, I'm probably gonna get my head ripped off when I walk into that room. We live in this sort of terror of, of time. Well, perhaps nobody experienced more terror in regards to time than Martha and Mary. They were truly, of course, terrified for their brother and the sickness that he was in and the death that they saw coming. They sent out an urgent message to Jesus Christ and then they waited. And then as we're gonna find out, they waited and they waited and it just seemed that God didn't show up in time. And I'm guessing some of us can relate to that as well. Those times in our life when it seems that God was uh, the old expression, a day late and a dollar short, right? God, I really wanted you to intervene in this situation at work. And it didn't seem like you showed up. God, I wanted you to intervene in this situation with this relationship. And I felt like you just kept me waiting. God, I really need you to intervene in this sickness that my loved one is experiencing. And I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting in the door. And it didn't seem like you ever came through. But what we're going to learn from this, what we're going to be challenged by this, is to always trust that God's timing is for the greater good and for his glory. That doesn't always make it easy. That doesn't mean it's not a challenge. That doesn't mean it doesn't gonna work out the way that we might write the script, but it's always going to be for the greater good and for God's glory. And if we can turn our perspective to this understanding and this brace, that all things are working together for the good of those whom he calls, and as that passage will say more about it in a little bit, and ultimately for his glory, well then we will have the faith to stand and trust God in those waiting seasons, those waiting times of life. Well, as we step into this miracle, uh, I get two Sundays now, so I'm just gonna take my time. We get introduced to a family, and that's a wonderful thing right now. Families of faith following Jesus. And what comes together for us now is that we have actually a broader or bigger family of faith than we first understood. We have previously been introduced to Martha. Martha is the owner of the home. Jesus is on one occasion preaching and teaching there. Her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's a little put out by this. She asked Jesus to encourage Mary to help with the housework and things that need to be done. And Jesus actually commends Mary 
for doing what is best and that it would not be taken away from her. Now, I can't preach a whole sermon on that except to say, yeah, there's work that needs to be done. There are things to do, but there comes a time, there comes a place, there comes moments, and I'm just saying this so that you can be free (laughs) from external obligations and commitments that sometimes we put on ourselves. Sometimes the best thing to do, the godly thing to do, the right thing to do is to stop and to sit at the feet of Jesus, to bask in his glory, to learn from his word, to worship him. Can I get a hallelujah and an amen that we can sometimes stop the insanity and sit at the feet of Jesus and just soak in his worship and his glory and his love for us? Woo, amen. Well, this is Martha's house that we're being introduced to again. And this is Mary. And John almost can't help himself. John, remember, has had a lifetime to reflect upon the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he's been inserting these reflections, these meanings, these insights for us. And it's like he can't help himself right here because it's not going to be until chapter 12 after this incident that we're going to hear about this moment where Mary, perhaps because she was the one sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening so intently to the one she had declared her Lord and her Savior and the Son of God, perhaps she was the only one, it would seem, that picked up on those clues of his coming crucifixion. And he says, he reveals in this contentious, in this scandalous moment, and, and I know I've preached on it before, and maybe we'll get into it again this Lent. I almost can't preach this one enough. I love the story so much. This scandalous moment where she anoints him with this expensive perfume and wipes the perfume even with her own hair, and yet he declares the beauty of this anointing that is preparing for his burial. She seems to get it. He seems to understand. He commends her for this moment of worship, this outpouring, this lavish outpouring of love that is preparing him. And we can just imagine him, in a sense, being kind of girded up in his soul for what would be put upon him and the price that he would pay in this moment where just one other person seemed to get what was about to happen. And that's a whole other sermon in itself. When you know one other person is going through what you're going through, then you're not alone. How much more if the body of Christ can go through it with you? But oh, how beautiful. And now, of course, we're introduced that these sisters have a brother and his name is Lazarus and he's sick and he's going to die. And that begins this introduction. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they call on Jesus and the way they call upon him is so revealing. Here's what they say. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I can't get over this as well, that everybody who seems to come into the circle of Jesus, well, not everybody, a lot of people that come within the circle of Jesus become identified by his love. How does John want us to know who he is? He is John, the disciple who Jesus loved. And now who is Lazarus? The one that you love. People that open themselves up to the love of Jesus can be transformed and become defined by that love. And that is the invitation for all of us to become defined as people, men, women, children, whom Jesus loves and for whom Jesus gave his life, for whom Jesus is coming again, 
for whom Jesus sent his spirit to live with us now and forever. We can be the disciples who Jesus loved. I encourage us to practice it, to get good at it, to get comfortable with it. Hi, I'm George, the disciple who Jesus loves. Maybe I'll change my Facebook post this afternoon and that'll put that in my information. I'm George, the disciple who Jesus loves. Robin, the disciple who Jesus loves. Ken, the disciple who Jesus loves. You gotta get comfortable with it. You gotta get accustomed to it because the invitation here is for us to become defined by it. What if truly we were defined more than anything else, more than our other status, more than uh, our income, more than our home, more than our job, more than our hobbies, not that any of those things aren't important and valuable in the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God, but what if the defining, identifying characteristics of our loves that we are a people loved by Jesus? Oh, my people, allow that to transform your life. Allow that to consume your thoughts, that you are loved by Jesus. Jesus, the one you love, is sick. Then it gets a little harder. It would appear from this story that even those whom Jesus loves sometimes get sick. That wasn't a part of the deal, was it, Jesus? Hey, wait a second. I gave my life to you. I trusted my life to you. I prayed that sinner's prayer thing that that guy did at a concert once when I was a kid in youth group or at a camp or something like that. I, I, got, I gave my life to you. Wasn't it all supposed to go cupcakes and sprinkles, peachy keen, perfectly working out, all of my plans coming to fruition? Wasn't that a part of the deal, Jesus? It doesn't appear that that's a part of the deal, does it? I mean, we could live in denial, I guess. I mean, I mean that, that might be fun. Everything's great, everything's gold, no problems ever arise. Everything's great, the kids are great, the job is great, my marriage is great, my health is great, it's all great, it's great, great, great. But people might think you're crazy <laughs> if you live like that too. It seems to be that the witness of our lives as followers of Jesus is yes, sometimes, blessings pour out and prayers are answered and good things fall upon us who follow Christ. And I do think that there is clearly a practical element to following Jesus Christ. I've said this many times before and I'll keep saying it. I keep saying it to my kids for their whole lives. The Jesus plan works. As far as I know, as far as I can tell, the Jesus plan works pretty good. And I would encourage you to get on the Jesus plan. Follow him. Obey him, worship him, trust in him, live the moral life that he calls you to live, live the ethical life that he invites you to live, live the kind of life that he models for you. The Jesus plan works, but part of the Jesus plan also appears to be our witness through the sickness, our witness through the suffering, our witness through the pain, our witness through the disappointment and the discouragement, even our witness through the death. Even sometimes our witness through the death and yet holding on to the hope that will be revealed in all of us and the hope that is going to be revealed of, uh, for us, of course, in this story. Lord, the one you love is sick. Let, let, let me just add, add this before we jump into the next verse here. 
If you are going through that sickness, if you are going through that pain, if you're going through that breakup, if you're going through that confusion, if you're going through that season, and I know some of us are, (laughs) he still loves you. Don't doubt his love through that. Hold on to it all the more. Don't question his love through that. Hold on to it all the more. I, again, I, I'm, I'm not saying put a facade over the difficulty and the sickness and the struggle, but trust that he still loves you in and through it and that his love for you can be revealed all the more powerfully on the other side. Because again, that is where Jesus is going to take this family. And so this is what he says. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. Jesus's ministry so far has been very powerful. And one of the stories we affirm that when Jesus begins his ministry, he begins at a ministry of preaching and teaching, a ministry wherein he is proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe this good news. It's an invitation to see our lives in light of his holiness, of his glory, that we stand before the incarnate son of God, but to welcome this invitation to repent, to turn away from sin, to turn away from death, to turn away from evil, to turn away from wickedness, or just to turn away from ourselves and making our lives all about ourselves and to turn Jesus and to make our lives all about him and to be able to touch and to taste and experience and to step into the very kingdom of God as we step into the presence of Jesus. This is this ministry that Jesus has begun. Then he moves into this ministry of miracles. He's demonstrating the truth of his proclamation that he is the son of God and will be the savior of the world by performing signs, signs that demonstrated the fulfillment of all the promises that brought us through the Old Testament and into this ministry of Jesus. He is the one who is healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, feeding the hungry, setting the captives free. He is proving who he is. Then we talked about even how the ministry moved into the call of discipleship. It wasn't just about him preaching. It wasn't just about him doing works. It was about us doing it with him. So we are invited to the discipleship of Jesus Christ to follow him and to do what he does, to preach the good news and to do great works in his name. But now here, John turns the corner with this miracle. The other miracles were very much again about demonstrating the power of God at work through Jesus Christ. But now this is pointing us to the end game. This is the miracle that will reveal for us why Jesus ultimately came and that his mission could only be fulfilled, not just in preaching, not just in miracles, not just in mentoring and leading people. He could do what only he could do. He had to do what only he could do. He would need to become for us the atoning sacrifice for our sins through his death and burial on the cross. Praise be to God that he's going to point to us the hope of resurrection that will come through that atoning sacrifice for us. So again, he's showing the way. John is rounding the corner. He's pointing us to where this is all going. This is going in the direction of resurrection. But in order to get to a resurrection, you've got to go through death. You gotta love how Jesus, you know, he just says it, this will not end in death, but he doesn't say it's not gonna go through it. (laughs) It's not gonna end there. 
But my friends, it's got to go through it. The way that the preachers say come Easter celebration, and I'll probably say it again this Easter, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You don't get to the resurrection if you don't go through Friday, if you don't go through the cross, if you don't go through the crucifixion and the burial. In order to get to the resurrection, you've got to go through the death. And he's just being compassionate here and telling them it's not going to end in death. Oh, but we're going to go through it. And he already gives a clue here, that key to our understanding. And this will be for God's glory. Notice how many times as you read through the gospel of John now and reflect on these signs, these miracles, and nearly each and every one has been to reveal the glory of God. Whenever Jesus turned the water into wine, our first miracle so many weeks ago, this was the first sign that revealed Jesus's glory. And then he goes on and he heals an official son. And it said he worshiped Jesus and gave him glory. And then he walks across the water and he comes onto the boat and they worshiped him and gave him glory. Uh, last week, the blind man came to Jesus and with his eyes open, worshiped Jesus and glorified him. And now we understand that this resurrection that he's pointing us towards is to give him the glory. Now that isn't just a feel good, practical faith kind of message for us to embrace. But this is the fullness of the revelation of God to us through Jesus Christ, that anything and everything that he is doing is ultimately to bring him glory. Romans chapter eight, one of the great chapters of the Bible tells us, and we love this verse, we love this verse. We know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God and who've been called according to his purpose. We love that, and we should love that. We should hold on to that promise. All things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then it goes on. For those whom God called, he also foreknew. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also conformed to the perfect image and likeness of his son. Those whom he conformed, that they might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. I know it's a lot. It's a lot. Read it. Those he justified, he also glorified. Those three verses there in Romans uh, 8, 28, 29, and 30 are pointing us again to that golden string of God's glory and of our lives. All things are going to work for the greatest good, and the greatest good is always the glory of God the Father Jesus Christ, the Son, and his Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Trust and believe and move forward in faith that God is glorifying himself in and through our very lives. This is what Jesus declares to the disciples. And then he declares, then he stays. Oh yeah, we shouldn't miss that part. And then he stays a few days uh, after he declared that. Uh, chapters, uh, verse six here, my phone's uh, went back to sleep, so I'm not gonna pull it up again here. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And I found that very interesting. I never thought about this before because at other points in this ministry of Jesus, we read words like immediately and urgently. Whenever Jesus was on his way up 
to Samaria. It says that he immediately went up to Samaria. There are times there's an urgency in Jesus's ministry. It's like he knew in that moment in John chapter three, I think, uh, four, I think it was, that he immediately, he was called. He had to be in Samaria. He had to be at that well. He had to be at an appointed time to meet a woman who needed the light of life to shine into her life, who needed that spring of living water. And he immediately went up. And now all of a sudden, Jesus seems to very flippantly just wait around for two days, which is kind of like Jesus, kind of just like saying like, death ain't no big deal, people. <laughs> death ain't no big deal. This isn't gonna be a problem for me. There's just this powerful contrast between the immediacy of Jesus' need to share the good news with the people at different times and now just stopping for two days. You have to put yourself in that position where we've been in when it seems that God is a day late and a dollar short, when nothing seems to be happening, when Jesus just seems to have stopped. Yet we know that all things are coming again. They're coming around to his glory. Then we have this very interesting section in eight through 16, and I'm just gonna talk through it for a bit here. He then tells the disciples after two days that it's time for them to go back up to uh, Bethany to be with Lazarus. Now, whenever he says it's time to go, the disciples protest, which is very interesting. They didn't seem to have any protest when Jesus didn't do anything for two days, but they do seem to be concerned about now going up to Bethany because they know that in Bethany are the very people that want to take the life of Jesus. They could sit around for two days while somebody they knew and loved was sick, but whenever it puts their own lives in danger, they get a little bit concerned. <laughs> What are we doing? They're trying to kill you up there, Jesus. Then Jesus has this little thing. He says, ah, we're going to wake up, you know, Lazarus. And then they're like, oh, if he's asleep, he'll just wake up. And Jesus again is saying, oh, I'm trying to teach you spiritual lessons, but I'll just make it a, just, just, it just, I'm trying to be poetic people. And you keep making me be really blunt with the truth. He's dead. <laughs> Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad he died because I'm going to resurrect him and you will see my glory through it. And then I love this part. Oh, and I love this. This always comes up with Thomas. You know, Thomas, again, we've said, and many know him as doubting Thomas. Uh, we've all probably heard that story about after the resurrection when Thomas isn't there and he proclaims that he needs to see and touch the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he just kind of gets this, this, this banner pasted over him of doubting Thomas. But it's Thomas who there in verse 16 says, well, let us go up with him that we might die with him. So don't, don't give Thomas a bad rap. <laughs> don't, don't, don't just put that banner over him of being a doubter. He is the one who at this moment is willing to go up even if it would cost him his own life to follow and be faithful to Jesus Christ. And I just hope that the same could be said of all of us, that we would be willing to go with Jesus, to go all the way, even to go to the grave on his account. So he is the one who says, let us go that we might die with him. And then they get all the way to, uh, to Bethany. And it says in verse 17, on his arrival, we they found out that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now, I don't know how that all worked. I don't know if the messenger took a day and then there must've been two days of waiting. And then he took a, a, a day of travel to get, I don't know how the, all the math works because people get all worked up about the way he waited two days, but he was dead four days. But this is what we know. 
he is really good and dead at this point, which always makes me think of that movie, The Princess Bride, right? You know, they're dead and then they're dead, dead, right? Isn't that the scene? Like, like, oh, you know, you die, but then you can like really be dead. This seems to be Jesus wanting to say, I just wanted you to all be really sure that he's dead, which sounds so cruel, right? But Jesus through this is saying, I'm just gonna keep bringing myself more glory through what's going to happen here. There is actually a, a belief, a superstition around this time that you can read about in some of the ancient Jewish literature that they did believe that the spirit hovered around the tomb for about three days, but then it would take off. And there'd certainly be a rationale about that. There would be people that would be unconscious and certainly with the lack of medical lack of medical intervention that we take for granted here, they just sometimes kind of had to wait and see if somebody was really dead. <laughs> but they knew he was good and dead now because they had the body wrapped up in the cloths and the burial spices put over him and laid in that tomb and the stone rolled in front and four days have now passed. Lazarus is good and dead. <laughs> and when Jesus arrives, what we're gonna read about here, and I'm gonna end with this because I give myself a whole nother Sunday to pick up with the story here. That's whenever Martha hears that Jesus is approaching Bethany, being so Martha, the active one, the moving one, the one that's gotta get things done, she cannot even wait for him to arrive. There's a beauty then of her running out then to meet Jesus. And whenever she does, uh, she says this. On his, uh, uh, um, if you can, do, this, do the verses on the screen. If not, that's fine. I'm just going to read them here. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And here's our verse, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's great faith. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had seen the miracles. She had seen the healings. She had seen the wonders. She trusted in Jesus Christ. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask for. Ask for. Oh, it is so natural, it's so normal to dwell on the if onlys of life. And I invite us to just take a moment to think back to maybe some of the if onlys that we've experienced in our life, or perhaps for some of us, the if only that we are currently in. If only somehow God could have intervened and prevented this war unfolding in our world in the Ukraine. If only God, somehow you could have intervened in that sickness that my loved one is experiencing. Lord, if only you could intervene in that situation in my marriage. Lord, if only you could intervene in my child's life to save them from this hardship that they are enduring. Lord, if only you had shown up when I called upon you, when something could have been done, when you could have glorified yourself through a healing miracle. Oh Lord, if only you could have done something in that situation. It's so natural, it's so normal. And I don't want to shame anybody 
for living with and experiencing and walking through those if-onlys. We've got to go through that process, I think, in some of our lives. But there comes the point then, after we've kind of looked at the situation, examined our lives, dwelt there and kind of sat there in the if-onlys, we need to move then to the even now. If only God, that would have been great, but even now I'm going to trust in you. That's the flip of the script that Jesus is inviting Martha and Mary and the world and all of us to experience right now. Because you think about the story and how it's going about to unfold. You see, if Jesus had got that message, if Jesus had run to Bethany, if Jesus had seen Lazarus in his sickness, if Jesus had seen his friend, the one that he loved on death's door, Well, I have to imagine Jesus is gonna do what Jesus does and he's gonna work a miracle. Jesus is gonna do what Jesus can do and he's gonna save his life. And that's a great story. But even now we are invited to the faith that God can work a better story through this because as good as a healing story is, you know what's an even greater story? Resurrection. As good as healing is, resurrection is all the greater. As good as healing is, resurrection brings all the more glory. And so the invitation now is for all of us to trust that even now God can glorify himself and make a better story through the if-onlys of our life. Can God weave together and bring together a better story through the if-onlys that we experience in life. I'm praying for a better story. I'm praying for more glory. I'm praying for a better story in the if-onlys of my life so that he might get more glory. And I invite you, pray for a better story that he can get more glory in what's happening in your health, for more glory in what's happening with your job, for more glory what's happening in your marriage with your kids in our world. I'm praying that he can get all the more glory by writing an even better story, a story of resurrection. Because in the end, friends, it's the invitation that's given to all of us. It's the invitation for all of us to come to that point in our lives where we say, we don't just need a healing, we need a resurrection. Yeah, it'd be great, God, if you'd intervene and work some wonders in my life, but I've come to the point where I recognize where I just don't need a spiritual healing. What I recognize now is that I'm spiritually dead. I'm spiritually dead because I'm dead in these sins. I'm dead in these transgressions. I'm dead in this debt that I owe to a holy and perfect God. And so Jesus, I'm going to ask you not for a healing because <laughs> I need a resurrection. I need a resurrection. I need a salvation. I need to be brought back into spiritual life through the power of your Holy Spirit by your atoning sacrifice on the cross for me. I need a resurrection. Jesus is going to show that what is available to all of us is the power and the glory of resurrection in our lives. And so I invite you to pray like Martha does. And we're gonna pick up with Mary's story next. No, in two weeks, you're gonna pick up with Mary's story Even now, I'm sorry, sorry, if so, if only, if only, if only you had been here, Jesus, but even now I will trust. Even now I will trust that you can bring yourself more glory through the power of resurrection in my life. Let me pray for us, friends, and then I kind of want to leave you hanging with this story as we're going to come back to it again in two weeks. Heavenly Father, I know that many of us right now are going through if-only times 
Perhaps all of us at all times have some if-onlys hanging over us. Those places where we're calling upon you to intersect with our lives and to work a miracle on our behalf. Let us trust that even now you love us. Even now you are coming to us. Even now we can trust in the power and the promise of your resurrection. So glorify yourself. We trust you to glorify yourself by ultimately bringing to us the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection and the new life in your new creation. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.